Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. Today's episode is brought to you by Wise, the account that helps you manage your money around the world, which is huge for travelers. I've been a customer and a fan for 10 years. The Wise account helps you send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, and they do it all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. This service has been so critical for me in my life as a traveler, as a nomad, as somebody living abroad, and you can join 16 million customers and learn how the Wise account can help you out on the road at wise.com slash travel. That's wise, W-I-S-E dot com slash travel, or download the app. This episode of Zero to Travel is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. One of the things that defines my travels is I travel, first I start, like just start. The second thing is I travel slowly, like I travel so slowly that wherever I am, that's the destination. And the only thing that matters on that day is get through the night. Just get through the night. It's real easy to slip into that magic of the road where people are generous and they give you things and you just take, take, take. You've got to remember everything you accept, you've got You've got to, you know, joyfully pay that back. That's what keeps the the cycle of goodwill going. Oh, yes. We're kicking off Wild Ways to Travel Week with that gentleman, Bernie Harbert. It's one of the only people in America who has spent over a thousand days and nights on the road traveling by horse and mule. (laughs) Yes. Bernie's life of travel started after spilling his coffee. You're going to hear what that's all about. And of course, we're going to talk about his adventures traveling by mule, sailing around the world for five years. He rode around Tasmania on a $10 bike he bought, and on and on. But we also dig even deeper, as we like to do on this show, talking about how you can evolve with travel, which ties in with a power question I'm going to share in this episode, something you can ask yourself coming into the new year to help you set some of your travel goals or not depending on how you take it. A shout out to a listener in this community who summed up what this show is all about and much more happening right now. It's Wild Ways to Travel Week. Here we go. Welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey, what's up? It's Jason here with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show. Thanks for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms, to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience you know, I should record myself saying this one time. You, you can see me like rubbing my hands together in excitement and just getting pumped up for each of these episodes. I'm going to do that. I'll put it on Instagram at zero to travel. I have to get around to doing that. Okay. Before we dive in, I, I got curious. I needed to know the difference between a donkey and a mule. I don't know if you know, sometimes I come across these, 
interviews, these interesting stories, and then I, I get these questions that I, I feel like I should know the answer to this, but I don't. Uh, maybe you do, maybe you don't. I found the answer on treehugger.com. Key differences. Size. Mules are bigger than donkeys, standing about 60 inches at the withers versus 45 inches. I don't even know what at the withers means, but... Somebody can educate me later. <laughs> Body shape. Mules have a slight curve in their backs, similar to horses, whereas donkeys' backs are flat. Markings. Donkeys have a primitive marking known as a dorsal line, shaped like a cross, stretching down their backs and across their shoulders, and mules don't. And lastly, ears. Both have long ears, but donkeys' ears are dark at the tips and around the edges. So there you go. I guess the ears would be the, the easiest way to identify if it's a donkey or a mule. That was interesting to me. Okay. A couple things I should mention. Bernie's book, Two Mules to Triumph, A Long Ride Through the Heart of America. That's what we're going to be talking about today. But as I said, so much more, including how to lean on strangers without imposing something you have to do when you're traveling by mule. We get advice on that. And just... One of the key themes here, which I'll talk about after the interview, is this idea of evolution. So pay attention to that and keep your ear out. Bernie does mention a small town you can visit where, according to him, quote, strangers will look deep into your soul. <laughs> Maybe you visited this place. Maybe you will in the future. Who knows? Don't forget you can sign up over at zerototravel.com slash newsletter for our free weekly newsletter. You'll get all of the updates on what pods are coming out, travel tips, destination stuff, personal musings. It's all free. You can sign up over there if you'd like. And now I will slip and slide into this interview. Don't forget on the back end, we'll share that power question that will help you set travel goals or not for the coming year and give a listener a shout out here in this community. For now, enjoy my conversation with Bernie and I'll see you on the other side, my friend. Good morning, Bernie. How you doing, man? Hey, good morning, Jason. Doing well. I you have introduced me. Like I've sailed alone around the world, been almost three times across America by mule, but I've never had Google Chrome on my computer. So you, you you're the one that broke that to me. <laughs> well, yeah, that's that's something we need for this recording software. Yeah, I'm really opening your eyes over here to to a that's whole new good. way of living. It's great. <laughs> I know it's morning for you. Sounds like uh, you're a coffee drinker as well. You say we had to push a little bit. I said you said, uh, "Oh, this will give me time to grab another cup of coffee." I brought one with me. I don't know what you usually have with your coffee. What what's your typical morning look like? So, well, you can kind of hear it. Now, you can't hear it as much with headphones, but my wife, Julie, and I live in a little cabin in Western North Carolina, 500 feet. Uh, we might wake up to hear like a chestnut hitting the roof. It's uh, kind of chestnut season here in Western North Carolina. Hear the creek. Then you'll hear the border collies. You know, they might stirring. And then uh, you might hear a mule bray or bash into the corral getting hay. So it's... Uh, kind of a country alarm clock that we wake up to and then we have coffee <laughs> boiled in a pot because nice. we don't own a coffee maker <laughs> no okay so i'm all right 500 square foot cabin is that what you said yep 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 and you said you don't have a coffee maker is it tell me more is it intentional is there a simplified version of life you're living or it it is that's totally what it is like we could afford a mr coffee but we actually really choose to live 
really pared back life. Like we have a, like I'm probably violating all code, like building codes here by saying this. The county's probably going to swarm down our house. But like we cook on a two burner uh, stove from Northern Tool hooked to a 20 pound propane tank. You know, this run through a hose in the wall. And it's simple. Like we have a little, it's a, it's a toaster oven. Uh, we finally went from a dorm fridge to like the junior version of a grown-up fridge. And so it's, this is by design because first my wife, Julie, and I are, we love to be outdoors. As we say, we, we come in to sleep and then we're outdoors. We're, we're riding our mules we're, or I'm working on a book. Not always outdoors, obviously, but it's about being outside and having just, you know, sensible accommodations for two people. And this this works fine. We heat with wood. We drink gravity water. So that means the, the water comes out of a spring in the side of the mountain. So it's just a very kind of a, uh, I wouldn't say paired back because you can work your ass off, you know, cutting back to live kind of on a homestead, put it that way. It's, easy, it's easier to turn up the thermostat than chop wood. But we like, I love chopping wood. <laughs> Got a shed full of it. How long have you been married? Been married um, about three years. Um, and we were together close to 10 years before. And the reason it worked, this is my first marriage. I'm in my mid-50s. And the reason it worked was... Julie was really the first person that was able to kind of incorporate my travels. And I travel a lot for long times into a relationship. And so I thought, that's the woman to to marry right there. (laughs) Well, I mean, let's talk about that for advice for couples, let's say, that perhaps one of them is going on extended journeys or wants to, or maybe both of them do, and they have to kind of come together and figure out a solution. Do you guys have a, a system of something you talk about? I, I mean, obviously you, you we were straightforward with that going into the relationship, but how do yeah. you manage yeah. that? See, this is where I should talk to you for two minutes and then have my wife, Julia, talk to you for two minutes. <laughs> but <laughs> Bring her on. So <laughs> I'll stay, I'll stick an ear button her ear. So no. And, and, uh, Full, full uh, disclosure, she's in the cabin. It's a small cabin. She's between feeding mules and dogs, so she's going to pop in and out. But so, so you might have to talk to her, put her on the spot. But the, the reason it works out, first of all, is because I think Julia knows that it's really a part of who I am. There are, are some people this, that are just move. They just on the move. And I'm one of those people. And so she's under kind of understands that and is able to work with that. And she also has, like when I took my last trip, I was gone seven months um, with my mules left. That's a long time to be gone from a, a spouse. The first thing is on a weekly basis, we called a few times a week. We actually stayed in close touch um, when uh, cell phone reception allowed, wrote letters. Um, she came to visit me about 
two thirds of the way through the trip in a bra- in Nebraska, a place we absolutely loved, and I'd love to talk more about. Um, and then she also had really a really tight uh, connection. I think she was one to say something as well. Speaking to this, we had a very she had a very tight circle of friends around her that she stayed with while I was gone. So those are kind of various things that, that really helped us stay close and in touch. So it never felt like there was a giant, giant gap uh, that grew between us. The other thing, and this, this comes back to the, 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 the way I'm tempered, I'm really independent and she's really independent. And so the both of us are fine apart. We're fine being alone. We're fine with that. But one of the things I found towards the end of this long seven mule voyage was that I did feel myself drifting out into this great wide open, you know, these giant spaces of Wyoming that I was walking across one step at a time with my mules. And I felt my drift felt myself just drifting away. It was like from 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 home and from Julia, just not thinking of her because I was working so hard to keep the mules going. And that's when I noticed it's time to come home. It's time to come home. Um, but there is hope for, you know, for couples that where one decides to travel and one doesn't, it, it can be done and it can be done. I mean, the rules for a relationship, you can certainly make them up, right? There are no rules. You get to make up the rules. I mean, so if you, it's a great way to kind of go about it. I, I mean, I think it's important if you value travel, if you're listening to this, and obviously you do, it's important to have those discussions, you know, as life evolves, whether it's a long-term spouse or an, a new spouse. It's like, hey, this is, I kind of tried to warn my wife a lot when, uh, before I married her. I'm like, look, this is what you're getting. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Whether you like it or not. Oh, yeah. if you, well, if you don't like yeah. it, I guess if it's or not, you're not getting it or, or I'm not getting it. But Right. Yeah. right. But, there's the, but the point, it, it's, it's definitely doable and it, it's easier now than ever before. I mean, imagine when, when someone used to go to, to France from the States. Well, they, they sailed over and they were gone for probably a year and they may have sent a few letters. Well, it's, we're in a different world now. The, the communication is so much better and just the interpersonal communication, you know, talking with that spouse that that may that may not be going with you, you know, talking it through whether it's from how to run the home uh, while you're gone, you know, how the plumbing works to how to deal with loneliness. I mean, these are all things that I, I'm a big believer in. Just really discussing and talking this stuff through. Yeah, for for people that. It doesn't come so naturally to. Yeah, it's, it's a huge thing. You have a crazy list of adventures you've done. And I know you came from a corporate sales background. So you don't strike me as uh Well, I could definitely see sales being the line of work because I'm sure you're a great storyteller. <laughs> and you got to be able to spin a yarn when you're selling. I wanted to hear a bit more about what you were selling and what that... Like, just sure. chronologically, how long was that part of your life? Yeah, so I grew up in North Carolina, went to NC State University, and got a degree in wood and paper science. 
So that's like a, a engineering degree for the furniture industry to make furniture. Graduated from that, North Carolina, this was the late 90s, still had a really good uh, furniture industry going. And it was right when the thing, when the furniture industry was going from kind of hand set up to CNC, which is computer, computer numeric control, uh, much more automated setup. So it was a great time to come out of university with this degree. And I went to work for a big, um, it was a wood machining company. It was a German machining company that made molders. So what a molder is, is you stick a board into it. And it will, in the simplest case, just make it square top and bottom. That it could take that same board and turn it into flooring. Uh, could cut a tongue and a groove in it. It could make uh, parts for windows. It could make furniture parts. So that's what this equipment did. And so I was with them a couple of years, and my job was in sales, uh, as you intuited. And I found myself sketching sailboats on the stationary, like in these meetings where I should have been, you know, taking more maybe technical notes, I, like these sailboats would start drifting onto my notes. And long story short, I, I ended up finding a sailboat um, on, in, on Lake Norman, Charlotte, North Carolina, paid 12 grand for it. And this was in the late 90s, and it was a big old steel sailboat. And one day when I was in the office, I mean, I was always already harboring this dream of going traveling, going sailing, and I was saving up money, saving up money, saving up money. One day, as I was working on my computer, I was putting ahead, uh, putting ahead a uh, uh, like a an image of a cutter head, which is what cuts the wood, and it's got it's like it looks like looks like a coffee can with four blades coming out of it. And when I made a mistake, I hit Control Z with my fingers. Well, I put one of the blades on kind of wrong, you know, on the computer. And right about then I, I spilled my coffee, which was, uh, which I was drinking and my fingers clicked to the control and the Z to undo the spilled coffee. Do you see what I'm getting? Like I was trying to undo my action with a keystroke. And I thought, Holy Mother, this is not good. Like I've slipped too far away from what I really want to do into this new virtual world. So I, I trained a replacement for my job. Uh, it was a very orderly uh, exit. Got on my sailboat, had it trucked from Lake Norman, North Carolina to Oriental, North Carolina on the coast and went sailing Uh Took off for five years and ended up uh, started writing newspaper articles to to fund that trip. That was back in the day when that was still a an ink could provide an income stream. Now, of course, you've got uh, blogging, uh, vlogging, YouTube posting. But at the time, the late nineties, left in nineteen ninety eight, you could still piece together, and I did an income writing newspaper columns. So mine was called Ship to Shore. And I wrote it, came out once a month. and went to a whole bunch of uh, newspapers. Um, and that's how I, I got kind of started in the long, long-term travel, going from that corporate job to sailing 
um, and riding, riding uh, underway and training horses. I also I trained horses, which is an odd thing for a sailor to do. But my engine went out, so I, I kind of wash into St. Thomas after 19 days at sea. Um, and it's like, I need a new engine. And so I was writing newspaper articles. I grew up riding horses. And so I started training horses, giving riding lessons, and helping set up a trail ride in St. Thomas. So that's kind of what funded that trip. Wow. Yeah, you go from one horsepower to another. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get back to the interview in just a moment. This episode is brought to you by U.S. Bank. Recently, I went out for tacos, and it wasn't even Friday. Yes, we have Taco Friday in Norway, not Taco Tuesday. Well, more importantly, I could have earned rewards for every scrumptious bite of those chorizo soft shells. Introducing the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points when you go out for dining or order takeout and restaurant delivery, including tacos. Plus, you can earn two times points when you shop for or order your groceries, two times points when you need to fill up or charge up at gas stations and EV charging stations. You're even rewarded with two times points just for your favorite streaming services. Go to usbank.com slash altitude. Go! To learn more about how you can earn 20,000 bonus points worth $200 if you spend $1,000 in the first 90 days of opening your account. Win big with the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Visit usbank.com slash Altitude Go to apply. Limited time offer. The creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc. Some restrictions may apply. This episode of Zero to Travel is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on Earth. We're excited to partner with Nissan because our listeners know we love to celebrate the joy of exploring the world and finding the best off-the-beaten-path destinations to visit. And there's no better vehicle for that than the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys, and it even has the best towing capacity in its class, up to 6,000 pounds, so you can bring the fun with you. But Nissan also knows that it's not just about where you go. In a Pathfinder, the real fun comes from getting there, and that's something we love celebrating here on the Zero to Travel podcast. We believe that life is about finding that joy within the journey itself, and that's why. We're thrilled to partner with Nissan to celebrate adventurers everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode of Zero to Travel and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Now, back to the show. You got out of the industry, uh, furniture industry, just in time because now they just give you a whole box and we all have to build our own furniture, right? We don't even get yeah. it in, in a piece. We got to all build it anyway. We're all furniture builders. Well, that's what happened. <laughs> that's what. So the timing was great as far as the the departure. So, and yeah. I caught the end of the newspaper era, which is another good, you know, timing. The reason I mention this, like you said, I don't look like like a corporate type, but that kind of shows that transition how and i think the the corporate world is a, is a fine world it, it is it was a great time that i spent with this company just a really good time it just i was ready to move on and the, the reason i i kind of put those those steps in there is to show the transition of going from one life stationary life 
was a fine life to a life on the road. I mean, I traveled for five years and things evolved. I didn't, I didn't have a plan on how to earn an income while I was traveling on the sailboat. It, it just, I put out some feelings like, oh crap, maybe I'll write. So I contacted some newspapers that worked out. I kind of, you know, washed up in St. Thomas needing a, a, an engine. And I was talking to a water taxi driver and we started talking about horses and he had a friend who had horses that needed some training and she had him at a stable and I spoke with them. And soon it was like, it was like a real job. Like I went back, I think it was, I flew back like four to five times from my sailboat back to St. Thomas. Like I would go to Columbia Flew back a month to work with the horses. Ended up sailing to Tahiti, parked the boat, flew back a month and worked with the horses. So that's how it evolved. And I think it's really important for people to understand, who especially might want to take a longer foray into travel as a lifestyle, that that's how it happened. That's how it happened to me. I can only say how it happened to me. But it it worked. It was amazing. I was just stunned. I love that. Uh, the the two words you said, things evolve. I think I just wanted to highlight that because I think it's uh, hugely important. I like these things that you can grab onto and kind of hold and remember easily. And that that concept I've heard over and over in the show where it's just, you know, the, the path reveals itself and you can use the cliches, right? But the reality of that is true. And I, I have a feeling with you, you mentioned, you know, uh, catching the end of the newspaper era. You found this horse thing. But if it wasn't those things, you would have found something else, right? If it was another area, you would have found something else. And yeah, I'm not saying that there's no struggle with that, or it's not easy, or it's easy, I should say. But things evolve. <laughs> things evolve, right? Well, they evolve regardless, right? But if you're on the move and you're committed to long-term travel, they're going to evolve around that path as opposed to another path. So either way, things are going to evolve. I just think like, how and where do you want them to evolve? <laughs> yeah, and you know, it... It is fascinating, and I know it's a it's a little bit of a a little bit of a sidetrack, but I want to mention this because we've talked about the evolving, like in the big picture, like setting out. Um, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And it and it works out. In my case, I was able to find work for it was a it was a, almost five years. If you look on the day to day, it also works out, and I think this is really important for travelers to understand or travelers who haven't quite seen the way this works. And I think one of the things that defines my travels is I travel, first I start, like just start. The second thing is I travel slowly, like I travel so slowly that wherever I am, like that's the destination. And the only thing that matters on that day is get through the night. Just get through the night. So that could be as simple as I went to Tasmania, spent half a year, I was going to ride a horse around Tasmania. Well, that didn't work because I couldn't find a horse. So I ended up for $10 buying a junk bicycle at a tip shop, what they call down there. And I, I put like part of a life raft. I made a flag out of it on a fishing pole to stick on the back of the bike so I didn't get hit by a car. 
I took screen door parts and made like bike racks to put these two little backpacks. I flew to Tasmania with a little lightweight backpack. I probably had 20 pounds of gear. And then I literally left Hobart, pushed the bike, you know, out on the road, went like 10 miles. And for the next half years, I just, I knocked on doors. I got through the first night, like just camped in a bush, like in the bushes. And then I would, you know, meet some people and and say, hey, you know, it's getting towards evening. May I stay with you guys, you know, interview them, learn about their stories. And so one day at a time, things just evolved. And to me, that is so much simpler and more of a flow than trying to organize everything in advance, where you're going to stay, what B&B, what campground. And I'm just kind of, maybe I'm just tempered that way. Um, and it's it's been kind of a signature thing of all my horse travels which and mule travels, which we'll get into. Like I literally do not know where I'm going to stay and just like knock on people's doors and say, it's our border collies. Introduce myself and say, hi, I'm Bernie. This is my mule cracker and brick in the case of my last trip. You know, I stayed at uh, Danny Coffee's, which is a real person in Tazewell, Tennessee. Would you mind putting us up overnight? So that's how on a very day-to-day basis things evolve. I mean, does that make sense? I wanted to bring up the bigger point around what you just described, which is I'm going to boil it down to just this idea of thriving in uncertainty. That's what you're battling or not battling. Maybe in your case, I'm not sure if that comes over time and experience or if that comes just from like you, you mentioned your demeanor, your personality, nature versus nurture, (laughs) who knows, but just that idea that, one can thrive in the uncertainty instead of letting it cripple you or let it worry you to the point where you don't travel or you don't do certain things you want to do as a traveler because there's too much uncertainty and you, and you feel like you, you got to know more or plan more. Just wondering your thoughts on that. Yeah, that, that, that's a huge thing. And again, I think, I think the, whole, the whole travel industry, there's a very organized travel industry where let's say you could take a, an organized trip, a cruise, everything is planned out. Um, and that, and that's fine. But the travel that I, that I'm really drawn to is this head out, you know, slowly and just let things develop. Um, ideally, you know, traveling with a horse, um, a bicycle, the slower, the better, but what I find is once you get out, you have a sense that you'll get through the night. And, and I think there's some intuitive part in all of us that, and let's talk about travelers for a moment. One of the biggest things is like, how are we going to get through the night? Like, how are we going to get through that? And I guess I've gotten really comfortable not knowing that. And what's helped me is like traveling with animals. You, you can't, there's, you just can't find campgrounds that accept horses 15 miles apart and spread through America. The comfort 
level of knocking. I keep saying this knocking on strangers' doors, like walking up to a house that might have a, a big backyard or a pasture next to it and knocking on a random, almost random stranger's door and and going, I've gone through this so many times where the first of all, they're like, who are you? And then you're like, you know, introduce myself. I'm Bernie Harper. So I've got the mules. And I've been through it so many times and I've had such incredibly good luck. That has just really reinforced that things will work out. And if they'll work out with me, they'll work out for other people's because I think on the other side of the door is a person that sees a traveler and is like, oh, this is kind of cool. This this person is traveling. He's, he's obviously taking good care of his animals or his bicycle looks okay. I've always kind of dreamed about that. I'll help you out. So, you know, a lot of the world sees travelers as kind of what they want to do, like secretly. And so you'll get a lot of support from people when you're doing your unplanned, unscripted adventures or trips. You'll get a tremendous amount of other support from other people because they kind of secretly admire what you're doing. And that's really important to, to understand. So, yeah. yeah, it's important to communicate that. And, to, and I mean, you have that story, of course, with the animals right there and everything. I know there's been a, a lot of incidents in the U.S. recently where people have turned onto the wrong driveway to turn around and they get shot or things like these things you see in the media. Of course, they're few and far between, but you can't help but think about those things. And, you know, everybody's got a different situation. Everybody has a different means of travel and, and, you know, different energy about them. And there's a lot to take in when you're going up to knock on somebody's door. The mules aside, and obviously you have this great story and what you're doing. And I think that helps tremendously, you know, to like get people to open up right away. But if you want to share your top, like, two or three sort of tips for anybody, no matter how they're traveling in those types of situations, kind of like uh, leaning on strangers, but not imposing on them. Yeah. First of all, it is super important to remember to pay back everything that you, plus some that you gain in your travel, because it's really easy to slip into that magic of the road where people are generous and they give you things and you just take, take, take. You've got to remember everything you accept. You've got You've got to, you know, joyfully pay that back. That's what keeps the the cycle of goodwill going. Because um, I, I know there are takers on the road that kind of wear out the the trail for for the next person behind them. Um, so generosity is huge with me, huge with me. The second thing is, I think, as a as a blanket statement, it really helps to travel slowly, and by that I mean. It could be not everyone is going to want to travel with two mules, you know, through the country or with a bike, you know, around someone else's country. But if you slow down, for example, my wife and I took a, a road trip in a little Subaru and a little covered wagon that I built, two wheel wagon. We took it out to California. And this is actually a, a good example of how it would help or, or work for a lot of people. We simply took off. We spent the first night with friends. We knew we wanted to head west. We headed west. And so we didn't, for the most part, 
prearranged places to stay. We're in our little Subaru pulling this little homemade wagon. And we stayed at like state parks that are very reasonable to stay at. We just mostly just drove right up to them. Um, we stayed we stayed at Cracker Barrels. That's a great place to spend the night. Um, of the 30-something days we were on the road, I think we maybe spent three or four nights at a Cracker Barrel. I must say they have good cheesy potatoes there. Very yes, good and the potatoes. rocking chairs. <laughs> and like, if you can just blot out the highway sound... Because you're going to be sleeping <laughs> next to the interstate and commerce runs, you know, night and day. And I emphasize the night before the day. You know, that gets you through the night. And it's a it's a, a kind of a wonderful unscripted way of doing that that we discovered that's kind of available to, to most anybody. So those would be like um, just some general kind of tips um, and then embrace that that uncertainty we had all kinds of uncertainty on this road trip like first we had a we hit like a carburetor something lying the road we got four we got a flat tire had to buy four new tires and then and then we filled the tank of gas with six dollar gas in California and then driving through the desert at night we hit a seven point mule deer. <laughs> which totaled the Subaru. The hood, because the hood flapped up over the windshield, smashed the windshield. We're going through the desert. I can't see anything. The, the inside of the car is full of smoke. We, bam, hit a, hit a post. The car is destroyed, totaled out. Hey, this is actually not a, like, I'm not making a great case for spontaneity here, am I? Like, this is scaring people <laughs> off. They're like, you know, hey, next this time is the we're going to book a room. <laughs> we appreciate the reality. <laughs> so, so to finish that story, so on this non-scripted, oh, you know, we're going to stay at Cracker Barrel and stay wherever the road brings us. We total out the, the Subaru, end up spending a week in Susanville, California, adopting a border collie and driving home. We pulled the, this little tiny wagon home with this four-door F-250 Power Stroke 6.7-liter diesel that we could have put the wagon in the back of. But that's how trips evolve. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it could be a cautionary tale. There uh, you go. Uh, you are officially the first person that has emailed me out of the thousands I've gotten over the years that had said the sentence, my passion is mule travel. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> not, not, a common, not a common passion that I've seen. I, I wanted to ask you about your yeah. 2011 trip traveling by yeah. mule cart across Newfoundland, tracking down four photos on an album cover. What, what yeah. album was that? So it's called The Newfoundlander. And at the time, I was taking care of my, my mom. She had Alzheimer's. I was, you know, just kind of stressed out. Went to Goodwill, found this album. It was called The Newfoundlander. It had four photos from Newfoundland, scenes from Newfoundland, like a guy smoking a pipe, a little boat in a foggy cove, you know, the ocean and, a, and a, like another boat. And I thought, right, 
I'm going to take my mule, Polly, and this album to Newfoundland. And I'm going to find these that guy smoking the pipe and these four pictures on the album. I happen to live in North Carolina, so I, I haul the mule up in my 1992 Wait, wait, hold Dodge. on, hold on, hold on. Hold on a minute, Bernie. Wait a minute. So, I mean, you haven't listened to the music. You don't... The album, musically, there's no connection there. It was the, the visual. It, I, I just don't understand right. how you jumped from looking at these this album in the thrift store and saying, oh, that place looks beautiful. I'd like to visit Newfoundland one day to I'm going to track all of these photos down with a mule. Like, how, how does... How does that brain work? That's the way (laughs) ramblers think. And I didn't even have a record player, never listened to the album. And I thought, oh, I'll find a, I'll find, I'll find a record player in Newfoundland. Don't worry about that. Just get to Newfoundland. And so I load my mule Polly onto the trailer, get to Newfoundland and I unload her in St. Anthony. Newfoundland is like a thumb and I'm kind of holding up my thumb. Anybody holds their left hand up, stick their thumb up. That's kind of what Newfoundland looks like. I go right to the tip of the thumb. It's called St. Anthony. And I unload Polly the Mule and my little homemade wagon and my album. And there is like an iceberg floating right by the parking lot. And the mule's like, what the hell is this? She's from Asheboro, North Carolina, where I I was keeping her. So I assured her it was fine. And we're going to find the four pictures on this album. Take off. It's six months. It is a total, you know, mule chase. I, I, everywhere you go, everywhere I went, the people are like, oh yeah, that's Trinity. That's 15 miles away. That, that's where that photo was taken. So I'd go to Trinity and they'd be like, nah, that, that's probably like happy adventure. Go down there. So I, we just, went all around looking for these photos and I finally found a record player. And so this, this crusty fisherman had this record player and I'm like, I'd love to listen to this album. So we, we put the album on and I think it's going to be like great big C, you know, the, the, the great band, great big C instead. It's like, Salvation Arm, Army, jingly, like brassy music, all instrumental. And it was horrible. I mean, no offense, but it was just not what I expected from Newfoundland. It sounded like something like you'd play at Christmas, ringing a bell, trying to collect money in the 50s. So, not your, st- not your taste in music, essentially. No, but, but that did introduce me to lots of really, really great traditional Newfoundland music um, still played in, you know, kitchens and backyards and going cod fishing and, you know, pulling up cod on pieces of rope uh, baited with these big hooks and, and chunks of fish. So again, that was just lowering myself without any real major pre-planning into what became this, this beautiful voyage across Newfoundland. So that's, and I I never, did you, did you accomplish your mission? Nope. Never found a single one, which, which it's just begging for like part two. It's like, well, you got to go back, man. So (laughs) it was wonderful. It was wonderful. We'll get back to the interview in just a moment. Would you love to have an incredible 
cup of coffee every day. I've tried it all. I've done the pour over. I've done the French press. But I tasted an AeroPress coffee many years ago. And immediately, I was sold. I had to get one. AeroPress is a patented three-in-one brew technology. This combines the flavor benefits of espresso, pour-over, and French press all into one compact portable device built for travel or home. I love things you can use in both places. This device has over 55,000 five-star reviews in over 60 countries. AeroPress is the best-reviewed coffee press on the planet. I've owned one for so many years, I don't even remember how long it's been. And they are under 50 bucks So they also make an exceptional gift, thoughtful, proven, tasty, and travel-oriented. Who wouldn't love that? Now, you get 20% off just for being a listener of this show at aeropress.com slash zero to travel. That's aeropress, A-E-R-O-P-R-E-S-S dot com slash zero to travel. That will save you 20% on checkout. Thanks to Aeropress for supporting today's show. Hey, it's Jason here. Did you know you are invited to join the first ever Zero to Travel community trip? Yes, we're planning a trip together. We're headed to Morocco November 30th through December 9th. And you can get all the details at zerototravel.com slash trip. It's open for booking now. We have 13 spots left at the time of this recording. And you have until the end of March to book. So if you're interested in traveling with an amazing community, this community, a small group of people, on an incredible journey through Morocco together with me. Sign up over there at zerototravel.com slash trip to get all the details. Thanks for listening and hope to see you there. Now, back to the show. Where do you develop the patience for a situation like that where you go, you land somewhere and somebody told you you just go 15 miles and you spend whatever, one or two days going there and then they're like, no, it's back the other way. And you're just like, I mean, I'm from the East Coast. Maybe it's maybe it's an East Coast thing. I, I would just be like, "This is ridiculous." Yeah, no. <laughs> Come on, gonna- <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, we gotta go here, <laughs> folks. No, <laughs> you know, get this thing on the move. Yeah, no, no, no. I think, <laughs> I think a lot of it is that first of all, I've always tried to live. You know, like we live in a little cabin. We're we're we move a little slower, but I think what it really taps into is that it's everyone else that's fast and I'm simply traveling at the pace that the human (laughs) mind and the human body evolved at. It's only been the last arguably 200 years that things have really sped up that we can travel faster than our brain processors can process at. Because when we're flying around in our cars, we're not processing what we're absorbing or, or driving through at, at the at the speed that our brains were designed to process at. And I just happen to feel like I'm synced in to that pace of pace of walking, which is the original pace that we moved at. And that's about, you know, 15, 20 miles. About the farthest I'll walk in a day is 30 miles at that pace, you become part of your environment that you're walking through. Um, there's a peace with that. I certainly stop thinking about what's happening 50 miles away or where's this photo. And, and, and sure, that'd be interesting. But it really puts you back into that 
into sync with with the 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 speed that our brains were designed to operate at. I mean, does that make sense? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's a it's a great way to think of it. I mean, you're essentially saying it's not that you're choosing some alternative way of travel. It's that you're you're locking into the natural way of travel in, in some regards and aligning your brain with that. I agree. I mean, I imagine it takes, well, maybe not for you. I'm going to talk to people about this before, but because of the way you described that you're living and you kind of, I guess, prioritize, let's say, this this slower pace, you have an intentionality around this slower pace of life and, and, and you know, keeping things sort of simplified in some ways, right? And, you know, the stockbroker coming from New York to go on a trip like yours, there's probably a slowdown time where you have to adjust to this new pace, this new life on the road at, at the pace you're describing. I don't know, does that adjustment exist for you? Or is it just kind of like, well, here, I'm just, this is my mentality. It's just, I'm just taking it on the road with me. It, <laughs> it does. I mean, I, we live pretty slow out here. Our closest neighbor's a mile away. But once I get out on the road, it, it does take me like on a seven-month trip, it took... And okay, for example, my wife and I rode... We woke up one morning, saddled our mules, rode out the gate, turned left, and rode six weeks to Virginia and back on two borrowed mules and one that we had. And it took us about a week to get into that even slower pace than, than we live. So no matter how slow you live day to day, you, it takes a, some getting used to. Um, and on the flip side of that, when you come home, it takes a day or two or sometimes a week, sometimes more to get back up to speed with everybody else. And everybody's like, man, you're, you know, you need to step it up. Or, um, so it's, it, so it is both ways. It is, it works both ways, but there's definitely a slowing down period. I think for anyone, I think for anyone. Yeah. Well, because some of the projects you've done, you, I mean, a book, obviously that takes time and, and that's a meditative in a different way, I suppose. But when I, I know you've done this, you did this series for that's streaming, I guess you, you, you kind of filmed and edited the whole, which one was that? Sorry. Yeah. So that was, that was called the Lost Sea Expedition where I started in Canada with the same mule I, I traveled across Newfoundland with. And I built a little tiny uh, wagon. It was 31 inches wide, which is about, if most people put their fingertips together, stick their elbows out, their elbows or my elbows hit the inside of the wagon. Like I couldn't open a newspaper inside it. So a tiny wagon pulled by one mule because that's the, the smallest, most efficient, most most, almost most inexpensive way I could do it with a wagon. Went off across from Canada to Mexico learning about the ancient sea called the Western Interior Seaway that covered the Great Plains. And so that is or became the Lost Sea Expedition, which premiered on Rocky Mountain PBS out Colorado way. Um, it's now streaming on Amazon. It's a four-part series. And I, I filmed it. Um, this was before drones. Like if I wanted a nice aerial shot of me walking by a windmill, I would like tie the mule off to a fence, get out my camera gear, climb the windmill 
set up my camera gear, turn it on, go back, grab the mule, and then walk through the shot. This took a bonkers amount of time to do. But it turned into this beautiful kind of handcrafted uh, series, The Lost Sea Expedition, that will probably never be <laughs> repeated. <laughs> it was crazy. Uh, but I'm patient. Yeah. I'm very patient. This is a good real-world example of two worlds that I think we can exist in as people, right? We may be living in one of those worlds, like the world of slow travel or aspiring to live. It doesn't even have to be travel related. Let's say you're aspiring in some aspects of your life to slow things down, to be more human in a way, I guess, let's call it like away from the sort of the digital stuff and all that kind of stuff. And then you have to reconcile that with a project like this. Uh, it might be somebody else listening might have their own version of that where, Hey, I'm aspiring to slow down in this way in this in life. But also, you know, you think about selling a, a documentary series to PBS or like getting them on board. I mean, this requires, you know, a lot of work and emails and, and, you know, all, all the networking and all this stuff, which is not, which is kind of the opposite of what you're aspiring to. And then you're reconciling these two things. So I'm just wondering, you know, for somebody that values that kind of, you know, like aligning yourself with a, a slower pace because it's not really slowing down as you describe. It's more of just aligning yourself with our natural way of thinking or our natural human being. How do you reconcile those two things when you have these types of projects? It's it's really hard for me on a sunny day to reconcile those two. And and here's here's what that means. You've got, let's say the the latest trip was riding from Western North Carolina to Idaho. That was seven months on a mule. And that will be the new book, Two Mules to Triumph. Um, and a photo book I've just released called 19 Million Mule Steps. And I'm going to throw in a shameless plug here. Um, people can get oh, a yeah. free copy Go of that ahead. on my website, <laughs> riverearth.com. So when people go to riverearth.com, you'll see this photo book free download called 19 Million Mule Steps. So to give people kind of an idea who how how I navigate the really slow travel on one side versus the making into something where it's a book or a TV series. First of all, the trip took seven months. It was 19 million mule steps, 2,300 miles. That seems like, wow, that's a lot. Okay, I've been working on the book. I finished the trip almost four years ago, and I've been working on the book steadily most every day for that span, not weekends, but I'm saying I've spent, I've put a, more hours into the book actually than the trip or certainly spanned a greater time. Um, it's a, tr a tremendous amount now of time behind the screen. So I just talked about, you know, at the beginning of this, oh, we live outdoors, you know, we have a little cabin to come in and sleep and that's all true. But I do spend a lot of time Let's say working on the book, uh, first I took all my notes, transcribed those. Um, then I would do an outline, you know, write the first draft. That was 300,000 words, lots of computer time, editing. Then I would use like Scrivener software to break out the chapters. Um, there's a lot of tech and screen time. You know, I'm I use Grammarly. So I'm spitting out all these techie names, 
But that is how the the spirit of slow travel gets captured, packaged, and transported into the the world of fast travel and internet and moving and you know distribution like you got to have distribution that it it took months of dealing you know with to get the the tv series distributed like months you know we fundraised we we dealt with all these uh public tv broadcasters so you're really living in two worlds you're really living in two worlds and i'm I'm fine with that, except, as I said, on sunny days. When I'm sitting working on, like, the 19 million mule steps, um, like, tweaking photos to get the file size down so they will fit into, you know, a Kindle. It's like, why am I editing a 3.5 gig whatever photo of Wyoming and crunching it down into this little itty bitty file when I I could be outside chopping wood. No, if you want a book, you need to crunch stuff on a computer. Yeah. That's part of it. It's the, the struggle forth. of the modern age, man. It's the struggle of the modern age. I'm well, so I'm wondering what is your why with all this? You could just have these trips and these private memories for yourself. Why do you uh, I mean, I know, you know, it's one way to make a living, but also is what's, what's at the heart of the work for you with sharing it? Why share it? You know, jo- Joseph Campbell, that I read early on, I can't remember if it was like Hero of the Thousand Faces or somewhere he wrote that the, the, the person that travels, that maybe it was a hero's journey, but the point was the, the, the person that travels or a certain type of person that travels has an obligation or feels an obligation to, to go through the travel, go through the struggles, and at the end of that, bring the voyage back to people. And I have, I have always felt really strongly about that. So when I'm out traveling, even on my travels, even more so than now, I just feel compulsively driven to post to my riverearth.com website. Like whether it's lying in a hammock in Tasmania being sucked on by leeches, I'm going to record that and I'm going to post that on my site. And it's just, that's my nature. I don't, that's just driven into me. It's just part of me. Um, because certainly there are easier ways to make money. It's really hard to monetize, you know, travel blogging. It's it's really tough. Um, can it be done? Absolutely, it can be done, and there and there are people doing it. But I think first and foremost, you really have to have that drive to document the experience. And and I just hap- I just happen to have it. I just happen to have it. Yeah. Gotcha. The passion for storytelling. I'm gonna ask a mule specific question and you know, we don't have to go too far down that track because I know not everybody's going to travel by mule. But this is a general question right. with animal <laughs> travel. Uh, and, and it might be something that people are wondering. 
in terms of the humane travel with an, when an animal? How do you sure any advice or how do you handle that? What are your thoughts around that? Well, the, the animal always comes first. And I'm really proud that every animal that I've ever begun a trip with has finished that trip and is in better shape at the end of the trip than when it started. Animals are designed, let's talk about horses or mules, by nature to, to roam, to travel. They're not meant to be locked in a stall, just like humans aren't meant to be locked in a cubicle or a prison. So when a, when a mule or a horse walks for five or 10 miles a day, um, gets plenty of, of uh, feed and water and carries a moderate load, that animal will be in better shape mentally and physically than an animal that is you know, locked in a barn and might only be turned out in a pasture for two or three hours a day. That animal will be certainly in better shape than an animal that just is turned out all day eating grass and might fat what's called foundering when they get too much grass. So the 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 traveling is the absolute best thing for the animal. Um, I don't like, for example, I don't use um, some of the things I do for the animals is instead of steel shoes, I use it's called a hoof boot which is like a little rubber boot. And so they walk in effect barefoot with like sandals on. That's their feet expand and contract. And so this constant motion is the way horses and mules and humans are supposed to live. Humans as well. We're, we're designed as a species to walk across the savanna or the tundra were designed to move. Um, and the, one of the beautiful things is it, it becomes almost, it kicks in like this self-limiting mechanism where a lot of horses are obese. A lot of people are obese. But when you're traveling, the horses get enough, or and mules, enough food and water to be in perfect shape. And I get just enough food and water to be in really good shape. So it works for both the, the human and, and the animal you're, you're traveling with. Maybe it's perhaps your mode of travel or just <laughs> some of the ways you live, but I feel like you're some kind of an old soul in some ways, right? Uh, I don't know how you feel about that. Do you think you existed before you were born? I do. I do think I existed before I was born, but it was, you know, it was a pine tree in Virginia and a homeless guy's sock in Boulder and, you know, a rock in Terra del Fuego. It was just, I don't know that, I don't feel my soul was somewhere else, but I definitely feel, you know, all the parts of me, you know, my skin and on a cellular level, atomic level obviously came from somewhere else. I don't know where the spark that is me was before me. I don't know. And I, I don't think that spark, I don't think like I'm the thousandth person to have inherit that spark. I don't think that. I don't think that. 
Um, I think what gives me a, a calmness and a connection, though, is just knowing what I'm made of was here long before, you know, whether it's in a, a woolly mammoth or a, or a Subaru windshield wiper or, a, you know, a rock in China, and it will continue long after. And I'm at, I'm at total peace with that. It's a nice way of feeling like I belong in the past and here and up the road, I'll turn into something else. Just passing through. Have you had any, let's call it, spiritual experiences or, or big spiritual revelations? If, if I don't even know if that's the right term to use, and I don't know what your beliefs are or anything, but I think you understand the spirit behind the question. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I have. I, I'm not religious in the structured Christian, Buddhist, Muslim, but I'm not spiritual in a like a religious uh, doctrinated way. But more and more, I just do feel like kind of a part of a greater whole. And in our case, because I think Julie and I move slowly, we do live up a long hauler in Western North Carolina. I think more and more, I just, I feel smaller. And I feel like, you know, we're surrounded by forest. It's a misty morning. Um, there's some, some wild bees uh, that I caught from the forest. I know they're out there. They're deer. And I think that's more and more, I just feel part of that, if that makes sense. And that's a nice place to be. There's never, I've never had like a spiritual aha moment. It just feels more and more like I and Julia are just part of this very specific place that, that we are in Western North Carolina. I don't feel that like when I'm traveling fast or visiting other places, um, though I know that we're part of those places too, but it's mostly just a, a, a sense of place, a very strong sense of place. And that's a, that's a real comfort. That's a real comfort. Which is odd, which seems odd for a guy that travels so much. <laughs> which is right, right. But, but I think it's vital because without an island to come home to, I think, and I've experienced this during certain trips, it's easy to start feeling drift, what I call drifty. You drift around, that can be part of travel, but as I, as I grow older, I really love a sense of home. I love a sense of home, which seems odd for a guy that, you know, will, will sleep in bushes, you know, with a mule or a bike or, 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 or spend a week in the doldrums or two weeks on a sailboat. But it's really important, I think, to have that physical grounding and that mental grounding. That helps. That just helps a lot. So that is kind of, I guess, my spiritual view of kind of how that ties into the into the travel. I wonder sometimes when you have that call to travel as an individual, let's say you ignore it, right? W will you ever get to the 
place where you come full circle back to uh, appreciating that sense of home. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like as somebody who, you know, wants to wander and has that in their blood, let's say, perhaps <laughs> this is just a theory, but perhaps you need to do all that traveling to get to that place <laughs> in a way. I'm not sure. Yeah. It's a little bit like that song by Dan Dan Hicks and his hot licks. I think one of the lines is like, how can you miss me if I never go away? And that's both a, a, you know, a snide, snarky, you know, personal comment on a relationship. But there's there's an element of truth in that, in that the, the travel, really the more I travel, and I consistently travel long distances very slowly, gives me a stronger and stronger appreciation of home. It really does. I have a depth of appreciation of the, the home, you know, the forest, the cabin, my wife, my relationship with my friends than I've ever had before. And I think I wouldn't have had that if I hadn't gone to the depth that I have in my travels, whether it's isolation or or extremes in heat or cold. I think I needed to go through those and will continue going through those. But it really does reinforce home uh, to me. It really does. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing to think about travel as a way to, of course, connect with the world, which is the obvious thing. But then, as you're describing, as a, as a means of connecting further with with home so it's a it's a win-win as if you yeah. need another excuse to travel <laughs> <laughs> yeah. what are you proudest of you've had a lot of accomplishments i mean you've sailed around the world is that accurate did you solo sail around the world is that right yeah so i ended up sailing leaving oriental north carolina my dad was with me he was 72 years old had a bum hip we sailed 19 days, had a beard growing contest, which he won. Sailed 19 <laughs> days to St. Thomas. Uh, we hung out for like two months, and I got this, this job uh, working with horses, training horses, uh, setting up a trail ride. And then he, he went home. And then from St. Thomas, I ended up sailing all the way around the world um, through the Panama Canal, the South Pacific. New Zealand, over Australia, down under South Africa, Cape of Good Hope, and then 65 days alone at sea, back to St. Thomas, and then I sailed home. So that was the the uh, kind of the circumnavigation. And was your question as far as accomplishments or... Well, you know, I, I left it open. I was mentioning your accomplishments, but I'm not sure if the thing you're proudest of is one of your adventures or if it's something else entirely. I just kind of wanted to highlight you've done a lot of things, but I'm just curious. Yeah, it, it's not. And, and this and this is that's not the, the biggest. The thing I think I'm proudest of is the relationship with my wife, Julia. Like that is the thing that is really the most important thing and that that I hold really dearest because we could move somewhere else. Or we, we could make another cabin and, and, and start over that, that would all work out. 
the thing that I've, I think I'm learning over time is as a person that travels a lot and writes about it is you need to do this trip for you. And so Julie and I have had these discussions where, you know, one of, one of my frustrations is there's, you spend so much time working on, for example, uh, a book. Like you can spend years writing a book and, and authors talk about this all the time. And then it comes out and it's like, well, it didn't maybe sell as many copies or uh, didn't get, uh, let's say just number of copies, they didn't sell as much as you wanted or hoped to. Well, that's the wrong reason to be doing that. Like you need to travel to travel. And I think to to turn travel into a, a trophy that you can hold up and say, look, I wrote this book or look, I've got so many views or followers or look, I cashed in on this. That doesn't, I guess, work for me. But sometimes that is a frustration. Sometimes, I mean, you're in the, in the travel business and sometimes you think, oh, you know, I've done all these trips. Maybe they should be giving back more. But in my case, I've learned that it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Um, and, I'm, and I'm just saying that for people who are aspiring travel bloggers, travel writers, uh, travelers who want to make a, you know, a living or make money out of it, it's, it's very doable. You know, I, I paid for my first circumnavigation to a large degree by writing posts. But my experience is that that's not what will bring the satisfaction. I think it takes something deeper. And that's why the relationship with my wife, that is the, the cornerstone, the pillar. That's a, the, the central part of it there. That's what brings satisfaction. You know, the home, the friends that we have, um, which just seems odd for a guy that, you know, travels and writes about travels, you know, uh, to say. And maybe, maybe it's not. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's not. Right. What advice would you give your younger self? I would say, well, I couldn't travel sooner because the first time I traveled was like I was naked and four years old and ran away without clothes on. So like, <laughs> that's the usual. Do it sooner. Advice to a younger self. Um, and, and I've thought about this and I continually kind of can't. Um come up. I would think simpler travelers. Like I have spent lots of effort and lots of time, sometimes over planning a trip where I would have been better off leaving simpler. An example is I once built a big wagon to take off on a trip with two mules, but it was just too big and cumbersome. And I ultimately was much better off pairing back to a single wagon and one mule. So I think lowering expectations or, or, or preparations, in fact, um, that would have helped because my the best results I've gotten traveling is with small stuff. So just paying back, paying back. The other thing I really 
this applies much more now and not to my younger self for the simple fact that it wasn't there was stay off the internet, which is a funny thing to say because, you know, we're talking kind of on the internet or this will be on the internet. It's important, I think, to keep some identity and some discovery and some curiosity of your own that's not influenced by this massive feast of of stuff that we get on the internet. And that wasn't there when I was younger. And I did a lot of just bumbling around, making mistakes, you know, uh, showing up in places that there was no guide or there was no uh, places uh, lined up for me to stay that I could find on the internet because there was no internet. And so I really, I find myself these days pulling back and spending less time on the internet. I'm not saying no time. Internet's great. I mean, I've got a website that's on the internet, you know, but moderate it. It's like food. A lot of people overeat. If I could, I'd weigh 300 pounds because I love to eat. But we have to tell ourselves there's some limits. And I think it's almost more of like, what's the message to my older self? I think that's more the question. You know, what would I tell my older self would be limit internet and really listen if you're going to travel. Really listen to that desire of what you feel like your travels should be. And and let some of that unscripted stuff back in. Let some of it back in. Just if you can take off, even if, let's say if it's in a car, just leave and don't overstudy and overprepare or overlearn about everywhere you're going. Because it will open parts of your brain. Like you'll you'll start firing new synapses that don't fire or have gone dormant when you're binging on digital factoids. That seems like a really harsh thing to say. You know, we're talking about an online travel site. But there's... I think we need to reserve a certain part of our brain for that offline experience in travel and and in life as well and in life as well um, in life as well. I keep bees. I'm I'm trying to resist the urge urge to jump on the internet every time I want to know something about bees and actually spend a little time in front of the hive that I, I built. The hive is a whole other story. Just watching the bees. See what color pollen they come back on their back legs. Is it orange? Is it yellow? It's late September. What flower is blooming around here that would have orange pollen or yellow pollen? Those are the mysteries that intrigue me more and more. And that's where my brain, I find, goes more and more at home and in travel. So the advice is watch the hive. Spend more watch time the watching hive. the hive. <laughs> well, just watch the hive. Watch the hive. <laughs> it's very cool. Like they're wild bees. I I caught them in a box. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. Watch the hive. Um, I'm going to circle like back to one one thing you said. Watch the hive. I'm going to circle <laughs> back to one thing you said at the beginning. You mentioned a love for Nebraska. We didn't really uh, talk too much about specific destinations, but uh, if you want to share one or two here before we close out, we'd love to hear. Absolutely. So Nebraska, one of my favorite all-time places. I, I just love Nebraska. So let's start off with the Tours and Boards logo. It's Nebraska. Honestly, it's not for everyone. <laughs> that is the what logo. A so like tagline. Exactly. So immediately, I want to go to Nebraska. So the, 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 I mean, whoever's doing the marketing over there, you're oh, a genius. They are. It's like it's just so. You got to be like, like now. You got to be like. Well, but is it is it for me? I mean, is it, I have to go find out. <laughs> got to find out. <laughs> <laughs> so I love the slogan. So like huge shout out to whoever thought of that slogan. And the the part that I'm just fascinated, just smitten with, are the sand hills of Nebraska. So Nebraska, you know, go corn huskers. It's all about the corn and it's flat and it's a, you know, drive through, fly around, fly over, boring state. Well, it's not. So I'm not from Nebraska. They're not, you know, sending me money, but the sand hills are, it's an area, it, it takes up about one fourth of Nebraska, and it's this huge expanse of sand dunes. Um, they're dunes that range from, you know, 20 feet to maybe 200 feet tall. They're like huge ocean dunes, and they blew in after the last ice age, 12 to 15,000 years ago, as the ice receded and the glaciers left uh, uh, lots of silt deposit to the west. The winds blew all the sand into giant sand dunes, kind of in the middle of Nebraska. They were covered in grass. Um, of course, then the bison moved in. And my, my favorite place in Nebraska is a place called Hyannis. Hyannis, Nebraska, not to be confused with Hyannis on Cape Cod, which would really be a shock to anybody that like booked the wrong trip. <laughs> it would be entertaining. <laughs> so Hyannis is a, is a small town. Of, I'm, I'm saying 200. Um, it's in these, uh, these huge, huge, just a sea, an ocean of these rolling sand dunes. And what I loved about Nebraska is it's mostly ranching, and it's the people absolutely fascinate me. Um, I rode into town, didn't know where I was going to stay. Julie's going to come visit. You know, my, the one thing I was tasked with doing was finding us a place to stay, which I blew off until like the last day, found an amazing cabin right on a lake. Some cowboy I met walking up the road said, stay, stay at this cabin. It belonged to Seth and Jenna Adam. Adams, they're ranchers. And so... Julie came for like a week, and the wonderful thing was the people. And what really struck me, one of the things that really struck me was how long they hold a gaze. I never realized this, but when when the folks in in, in the rural Nebraska and Hyannis would would look at me, they would look right into my eyes. And they wouldn't blink for the longest time. I found that fascinating. And I think 
what I chalk a lot of that up to is just being out in the great wide open. Um, a lot of these people work on ranches. They just work at a different pace. And I found that just fascinating. Um, lots of kids, you'll, you'll hear kids running around outdoors um, in town as opposed to uh cloistered in indoors or behind screens. There were a lot of kids, young kids, out running around Nebraska, uh, um, Hyannis. We went to a ranch rodeo, which is where it's a local rodeo where uh, kind of traditional ranching skills are, are, are tested. Uh, bronc riding, roping, uh, cutting. Uh, we went to, were invited to go Dr. Cattle with uh, Seth Adam, who is Jenna Adams' husband. He's a rancher. And so we just stumbled into these wonderful, I don't like the word authentic because it's its worn out, but you know, we found ourselves sitting in a saddle, uh, Julie and I with Seth and uh, another guy, riding through a herd of cattle, checking ear tags, you know, doctoring cattle, seeing that they don't chase them down like in the road, in the movies, they're like, yeah, get these cows storms coming there's none of that it's calm it's quiet they keep the, the the cattle gentle and relaxed and it was a wonderful place to experience that lifestyle it was this beautifully intact still relatively intact ranching lifestyle and all and all the attention span body language long conversations that that belong to another era that are still intact there. So Highness, Nebraska. Absolutely loved it. Just loved Highness, Nebraska. We now know where to go if Yeah, so so if you want that experience, but the funny thing is like I'd been there like 10 years earlier with my mule Polly going to Canada, Mexico. And I knew there was a bar there. It was a pink bar that had a hotel rented out rooms above it this time or when i went the last time with my wife julia it was closed and so lodging i think you'd have to look around there probably are airbnbs but it's the kind of place that if you showed up you'd find something show up <laughs> go to highness <laughs> if you like that kind of thing that's music to every traveler's ears, right? It's the kind of place where if you show up, you'll find something. We like to find something here. I, I should uh, mention your website one more time, riverearth.com, and the book, Two Mules to Triumph, A Long Ride Through the Heart of America, about your ramblings with Cracker and Brick, your two mules. And then, of course, the recommendation where strangers will look deep into your soul. You can go to that uh, Hyannis, Nebraska. Yeah. And um, all the other uh, great, food for thought you gave us today. I really enjoyed the conversation, Bernie. Uh, it was a, it was such a pleasure to get to chat and I hope we, we can do it in person next time. Really enjoyed this. Jason, this was so much fun. There you have it. Thank you to Bernie Harberts. I had such a great time chatting with him. He's a throwback and you should have seen. Yeah. I mean, if you go on social media, I post some reels, up on Instagram at zero to travel. And then you can get a visual of kind of like Bernie's cabin that he was talking about and, and see him. It's, it seems like a really cool place. Would love to get out there and pay him a visit at some point. I mean, have you been anywhere where strangers 
look deep into your soul? I have to think about that. I, I know I have. I know strangers have looked deep into my soul. I can think of uh, a few things flashing into my mind. But yeah, if you if you have, if you have a story or anything else, you just want to get in touch, send me a guest recommendation, just say hi, share your story, whatever. You can drop me a voicemail or an email, jason at zerototravel.com. And of course, don't forget, you can sign up for the newsletter over at zerototravel.com slash newsletter, which is free. The question I was going to share with you, I had this written down and it was sitting on my desk forever and I can't find it. And then I was, uh, okay, did I already read this on the podcast? If I did, I apologize. If I didn't, then here you go. And if you heard it before, maybe it helps again. And it's this idea of asking yourself if travel is essential to your personal evolution in some way, shape, or form, whatever that means to you. Do you feel that in your bones? I felt that. I felt I needed to travel for some reason. I don't know why. And I didn't think of it as being essential to my personal evolution, but it was. Maybe that was just an intuitive feeling, so I'm trying to put words to an intuitive feeling somebody listening might be experiencing right now. And if you're coming into the new year, as we all are, and you're considering you know, what you're going to do and if travel is going to be a big part of it, maybe this is a power question you can ask yourself and try to answer and just feel out what that might mean for you. It's hard to put these things into words, you know. But if you feel that travel is essential to your personal evolution and you need to get out and do it in some way soon, then embrace it. That's all I'm saying. Okay. I want to give a quick shout out to Mark, who was kind enough to leave a five-star review on the pod. And he summed up what this show really is, is all about in many ways. He said, it keeps my travel mentality alive. I love it so much. This podcast is much more than a travel podcast. The inspiring stories, topics, and enlightening conversations keep me connected to my inner traveler in a profound way. That was kind to hear. And I want to thank him for that. And... Yes, I think he nailed it. This is much more than a travel podcast. I I believe that. I've always said that. It's about living your best life in many ways. If you want to boil it down to some sound, cliche sounding, you know, I don't mean for that to sound like a self developy type of thing, but I like that phrase, living your best life, because you can just, it means something else. It doesn't mean we're always trying to improve. We're just trying to live our best lives, man, you know? (laughs) And uh, that's in this way, it's much more than a travel podcast, I believe, because these stories are about transforming your life and really surrounding yourself with the people, the places, the things, the feelings that you want to have while we have this short time together on earth. So I hope the show is helping you in some way, shape or form, serving you, providing you entertainment. Again, get in touch if you have any uh, feedback. And I just want to say thanks for being a listener. Thanks for being a part of this listening community. It means so much. And I'll leave you with a couple quotes one is pretty funny because I, I Googled quotes about mules. I'm like, all right, can, can you really find a profound quote about mules? Well, I found a couple. One of them, you're not going to believe who it is. And I'll explain why in a moment. This first one's from Ellen Glasgow, who said, the government's like a mule. It's slow and it's sure. It's slow to turn and it's sure to turn the way you don't want it. <laughs> that was pretty clever. And the second one, Albert Einstein. Really? Like, this guy has so many amazing quotes. I never would have thought in a million years if I Googled quotes about mules that Albert Einstein would come up again. Has he 
said a quote about everything. Anyway, I'll, I'll share the Albert Einstein quote. He said, God has given me a mule-like stubbornness to stick with a difficult problem and the intuitive powers to conceptualize complex hypothetical situations in my mind. Oh, cool. All right. <laughs> I'll let you go. We're going to continue Wild Ways to Travel week in the next episode with a gentleman who, well, I don't want to spoil it for you. Just <laughs> subscribe, follow the show. Be on the lookout as we continue another fun theme week here on the Zero to Travel podcast. Thanks for listening, my friend, and I'll see you next time. Peace and love to you and yours. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality.